Welcome to the Millennial Talent League podcast. This podcast is a platform to provide career coaching and to discuss the current issues and challenges facing Black and Latino millennial professionals. We hope to provide a safe space for expression, solutions to these challenges, in order to support the personal and professional development of millennials of color. Millennial Talent League is a place where we will create equity by informing young professionals of color how to become more competitive in the job market. We empower millennials to transform their dreams into a sustainable and profitable reality. I'm your host, Tiffany Poole, joined by Garrett Richardson, co-founder of Millennial Talent League. Welcome to the MTL podcast. Let's start off by introducing ourselves. Go ahead, G. All right. Thank you, Tiff, for the lovely intro. So um, welcome out there, audience. Um, Once again, my name is Garrett, but everyone calls me G. Uh, Just to tell you a little background about myself, I'll try to do as sweet and short as possible. Um, so I was born and raised in a small college city known as New Brunswick, New Jersey. That's right smack in the central of New Jersey, um, where I graduated also from Rutgers University, which is in New Brunswick, class of 2008. So it kind of had me thinking, you know, I'm about 10 years removed from my college graduation. So I kind of feel like a real adult now. It's kind of crazy. But, you know, just last December, um, celebrated um, 10 years being in my fraternity, Phi Beta Sigma, so shout out to my chapter over there, uh, Museta, you already know. And um, I, right now I live in Brooklyn. I've been in Brooklyn now coming up on four years. And I'm just really just want to start off by just expressing my thanks, my gratitude, appreciation just for this moment, for this opportunity to think of, you know, coming from a small kind of inconspicuous city like New Brunswick to now move into the biggest city, the greatest city in the world, New York City, um, being here doing this with TIFF. Um, it's kind of crazy. So I'm just really, really thankful. Just want to take a moment to just send love and appreciation for the community of people, both uh, past and present and in the future, who've helped kind of support me and buoy me to this uh, this space and moment in time right now. Um, so I really just want to express uh, gratitude. I think gratitude is something extremely important uh, for my successes, uh, both in the past and in moving in forward into my present life. Um, so to, just to talk about, like, how did I get here? Like, how did we get to this podcast? For myself personally, uh, the journey's pretty much started as soon as I graduated. So you're looking at over 10 years ago. Um, I was fortunate enough to be accepted into uh, Teach for America, TFA is the acronym. So pretty much TFA is an alternative teaching program. It takes people straight out of college, usually um, straight out of college, people who weren't education majors, but felt the need to kind of get involved into this educational landscape that we got going on. So I did teaching for three years in the school district of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and I learned two very important things. It was a very monumentous occasion for my life because I was a terrible, terrible teacher. And I think it's better to realize early on that you're terrible at teaching as opposed to putting in 10 years and recognizing all the damage that you've done. So after my third year, I just did not go back to work. (laughs) I'm not proud of that. But at the end of the day, I knew that I wanted to be involved in education, but not as a school teacher, not as a public school teacher. But much love to all the teachers out there. We all have a favorite teacher, regardless of what grade level that was important to us. So I definitely want to shed love to our teachers, I just knew it wasn't the career for me. But working in a, a public school in Philadelphia exposed me, right, to like this, the mass 
inequity that exists in our public school systems and just education in general. We seem to have two types of education for two types of children, depending on either your race or your socioeconomic status. And so I knew that there was something just morally wrong with that. And I knew every day I was showing up to work, I kind of felt like I was contributing to it. And I felt like I needed to take a step back if I really wanted to address the inequity that exists in our classroom. So, you know, I, we, Tiff and I had the pleasure of, uh, hearing and speaking and meeting for a brief moment of time, uh, the great uh, defense attorney and also the uh, founder of the Equal Justice Initiative, uh, Brian Stevenson. And he said in his speech at this conference that we went to, he talked about the importance of being proximal, uh, proximity uh, to the problem. And um, so I recognize that if I was going to address this whole educational inequity thing, I needed to get to know the people um, that I was serving, not just the students, but the parents in the communities in which they grew up in. So long story short, fast forward a couple years after I left uh, the school district, I ended up getting this opportunity to drive halfway across the country, and I ended up in uh, Toledo, Ohio, which is like northwest uh, Ohio, like 45 minutes, hour away from Detroit, Michigan. And I was up there for the summer of 2012 into the fall, uh, pretty much working on the president's reelection campaign, uh, organizing and African-American communities, primarily low-income communities, um, and getting people out to vote and doing the work. Obviously, we did a hell of a good job because the brother got reelected. <laughs> so shouts to still my we president. I know we needed a third term, right? But <laughs> here's the thing, right? Political campaigns are totally insane. Like, you got to be crazy. I knew I had to be crazy to drive my little car halfway across the country, just me and one brother from college. But we made it, thankfully. And... Um, just ending up in the Midwest is just like totally different from someone who's accustomed to like the East Coast and usually cities. Like I didn't really know much of rural America existed. So just driving through the Midwest, it was just kind of just mind boggling. It was a total like culture shock for me. But what I did appreciate, right, despite the cultural differences that existed, was that it did force me to become comfortable in like a really uncomfortable situation. So you put me in a community. I don't know anybody from, you know, the, the store clerk to the pastor to, you know, the teacher. And I had to get close and proximal to all these people in order to get to know their stories, in order to get to know what was most important to their communities so that I could speak to those issues in order to encourage and incentivize them for hitting the polls. And so there was a lifelong lesson in that. And that lifelong lesson was the importance of proximity. And it really inspired me to pursue what I believe to be my purpose, not just in education but my purpose in life and I feel like it was able to allowed me to kind of combine my uh, organizing capabilities with this passion for education so I believe that my purpose is to work in communities uh, typically marginalized low-income communities and help them develop uh, shared ownership of their resources in order to meet uh, most the most pressing educational needs of their children um, so that's kind of how I got to hear what I am today what you'll learn about an MTL Millennial Talent League is that we notice that there's a lot of inequity that it involves, especially in our communities, uh, especially in communities of color. And so I'm here because I believe MTL shares some of the same values that I believe in uh, as an individual and also as a career professional. So if we just fast forward to today, like I said, I've been in Brooklyn now for four years. I currently hold two positions, one full time and one is the other five to nine, I guess you could call it. Um, so full time, I work for Johns Hopkins University. Um, for a nonprofit through their school education. And basically, uh, we go to low-performance low schools throughout the country 
And here in New York City, we're helping to develop and infuse some positive school climate and school culture techniques while also implementing like evidence-based practices in order to turn around low-performing students and thus turning around low-performing schools. And my real passion, like I said, is about working with communities and helping them develop shared ownership of their resources, right, to meet the needs of their kids. So my my other not-for-profit outside of co-founding MTL is Bridging the Gap Incorporated, also known as BTG. And basically at BTG, our premises or our mission is to help improve the school readiness of children from low-income families. And the way we're going to do that is by supporting communities of parents uh, with shared responsibilities and shared challenges. We're going to help them develop what we call a parent learning community or a PLC. Now, these PLCs essentially help our parents receive training, education, coaching, uh, information, and most importantly, tools and resources that they could take back home to their children and to their home environments in order to support their child's literacy and language development. Uh, and hopefully, the result we will want to see is improved school readiness. So I'm not going to spend too much time talking about BTG, but you know that's part of the probably primary reason why I'm here outside of my personal connections to our lovely founder is... Uh, you know, MT, uh, I'm sorry, MTL, BTG, we share a lot of the same values. And I think the core of that is the this importance of being proximal, right? We have to be proximal to the communities and to the people we intend on serving if we really want to see an end or a closing of these achievement gaps or an end of these social wealth gaps that exist. So the importance of being proximal to this problem and being proximal to the people we're trying to reach is what really drew me to, you know, being a part of this movement, uh, being a part of the MTL movement, and being a co-host on this podcast. So that's a little bit about G. Uh, you'll get to learn a little bit more about me throughout these episodes, but we appreciate you here being on the journey. I'm going to kick it back to Miss Poole. Thank you so much, Garrett, for all of the work you've been doing. Um, and it's just, I think, so important for uh, us to be able to see, especially like black men um, in education. And so the more black men we have in these spaces, it just really increases representation. Um, and for our students, our young black boys to see themselves as being uh, leaders of schools and leaders um, of their communities. And so like the work you've been doing, whether with Obama or whether with teaching, um, or even now with John Hopkins, it just really has a, a tremendous impact and being there and being proximal to your students, I know, uh, means a lot to them. So thanks for all of the work you've been doing. Yeah, of course. So um, as Garrett alluded to, my name is Tiffany Poole, and I'm the founder of Millennial Talent League. So a little bit about me. I'm from Philly, the city of brotherly love. Um, I love Philly. I miss Philly. Um, and I've been in New York for the almost five years now. Um, and so, uh, you know, it, I always think about going back to Philadelphia and going back and doing uh, the work um, I'm doing here in New York now in Philly. And, and just because I just recognize uh, how gritty Philly is and just how much it's taught me uh, about myself and just how much love and support I have there. And so when I was raised in Philly, I kind of lived all around, um, including uh, North Philly. And anybody from Philly knows North Philly is a little bit rough. Um, but I think that roughness contributed <laughs> to uh, me being able to be living in New York. I think people got it wrong. If you can make it in Philly, you can make it anywhere. And so living in New York has kind of been, it has, it has, living in New York has kind of been a breeze uh, because Philly really gave me all of the, the tools I needed to be able to navigate um, the world, really. Um, and so being raised in Philly, 
my mom necessarily didn't have all of the resources to provide me uh, with growing up. Um, and so what she did do, which I continue to thank her for, is she surrounded me with people who went to college or she put me in programs with people who are going to provide resources to me. Um, and so some of those programs they were influential to the point where um, I went to uh, Syracuse University, um, first-generation college student, and I had no idea that Syracuse University even existed if it would have not been for a college prep program that my mom uh, put me in. Um, and so that is just like... a, a a display of like her knowing that she didn't necessarily have the skills or not necessarily skills or the, the tools or the resources that she should have had, but being able to think about like who does have the resources and how can I make sure that even though my, my daughter is being raised in this zip code, it doesn't determine her destination or her ability to, to go out into the world and do whatever she wants. And so my mom and just my family have been tremendously supportive of me um, doing um, my thing and just going out and pursuing my dreams. And so when I graduated from Syracuse, I wanted to go back and do that same kind of work. And so I decided that I was going to go and be in like programs that were going to support students to do great to do great work and to be exposed to college um, and to have resources and tools that they didn't necessarily have access to simply because they weren't born in the right zip code. Um, and so while I was on the ground doing that work, um, one, I just loved working with students. They're they're amazing. They, If you really spend some time with kids, you recognize that they do have the answers um, and they are the, the future. They have the answers to their problems if you give them the tools and resources to solve them. Um, and you can learn way more uh, from them than what you think you're teaching them. Uh, and so I just really love being close uh, to students. But what I was recognizing when I was working for these nonprofits that were doing great work um, was this, this, there was just a problem around uh, talent and culture. And so I would be, you know, one or two of, you know, the, the black people in the organization working with the, the black students, the black and Latino students. And I always started to wonder, you know, like, why is it that we have all of these organizations that are doing great work, but we don't have people who reflect the communities working at the organization, right? And, and, and then you end up having like this, this major dis disconnect. Um, and so that was something, that was a question that kept driving me throughout my career. And so like now um, I'm a recruiter, and I have really found that like my passion uh, is really around around connecting brilliant people to opportunities that are going to push them forward and help them like meet their goals. Um, and so for me, I, I look at it as like everyone has like their end goal, their end dream, but it really takes one position at a time. You never just get to like your peak without taking the steps to get there. And so I really love the work that I get to do now really is, is find people of color to work at these organizations that work and serve students of color. And I think that's extremely important because as I alluded to earlier, um, having someone like Garrett on the ground with students, it matters, right? It matters for them to be able to see um, themselves and the people that are doing the work for their community. And so being a recruiter um, has really just brought me so much uh, insight into the way that people think when they're hiring and the skills that they're looking for and even why people aren't always the best fit 
for a, a position. And so, I, you know, my days look like reviewing hundreds of resumes, cover letters, interviewing all types of people. And so as I started doing this, uh, this work around recruitment and being able to bring people of color to these organizations, uh, a part of the, the real challenge for me was that people of color weren't getting through, through to the door. So let's talk about why we're here. Why does Millennial Talent League exist? I couldn't understand how an organization could say that they wanted to serve a certain population and then not staff itself so that that population of people were represented. And so when I got into talent, I decided I was going to specifically go out and find Black and Latino people to work at the organizations that I was working for. And so when I got into talent, I was finding a lot of people of color. I found uh, them via LinkedIn, through my own personal connections, through job posts, and they still were not getting hired. And so I realized what I was finding was that the lack of equity in education transforms into the opportunity gap later in life. And so I'll repeat that. The lack of equity in education transforms into the opportunity gap in life. And so a lot of people uh, were amazing, but there were some skills that they lacked. And some of these skills were skills that you may have not been aware that you even needed. Uh, for example, um, let's say uh, project management, right? Like, so a part of project management is just being able to be organized. Um, but if, let's say, for instance, you grew up in a household that maybe that wasn't the case, you just doing things as they needed to get done. You were not exposed to someone organizing as simply as writing down a things to do list and crossing them off. Or you may have not had the type of mentors that would let you know that time and task management is going to be extremely important in any organization, no matter what your job is. And so some of it just happened to be that the folks that we were interviewing did not have the same access in life. And so when they didn't have this access, their access showed up in their job interviews. And so hiring managers are always thinking about what's in their best interest. And so although they may have liked this person, um, they were not willing to, to, to give them the job, even if they saw that their skill could be coached because they were looking for who is going to be, you know, the quote unquote best for the role. Um, and so hiring managers are not considering uh, the lack of equity in education when they're making hiring decisions. And what this results in is a people of color not getting these competitive roles. Um, and so I started to think it wasn't rocket science, that these skills could be developed and they could be coached. And it was up to me to figure out how am I going to communicate these skills um, to people of color and let them know this is what employers are looking for is not rocket science and you don't need to go back to school to get an advanced degree uh, to get these jobs. And so Millennial Talent League is here to, to even the playing field. Um, and so that's what we're planning to do. And we want people of color to be competitive in the job market and to not get passed up for the opportunities uh, that we know that they can they can own. So Gary's going to tell you more um, about the statistics because this is all just not my opinion. <laughs> no, we're speaking from facts. This is facts, capital F. Not alternative facts. Not alternative either. Very true. But no, I, I wanted to make sure we didn't gloss over a point of the word representation. Um, you're absolutely right. You started off by, you know, acknowledging the limited amount, the small little piece that uh, men of color or black men, I should say, own in the educational landscape when it comes to just classroom teachers 
and it's it's a nation it's a national problem and um you know it made me think going back to that same conference where we saw brian stevenson and remember the night before they had the all-black male panel mm-hmm. this is education pioneers conference so just so we're not keeping the audience in the dark it and was a great conference a fantastic conference in san francisco just this past november but um, the conference uh, ended the first night with the all-black male panel in education. And um, one of the speakers, I forget which one, um, mentioned um, television shows. And he related popular culture, right? And um, on the brink of, you know, next Sunday, I think, is the Academy Awards. Um, and, I, and I've always battled, right? We just had the Grammys. And I've always battled, had this internal battle, as I'm sure you have as well, Tiff, about like, well, do we really need the validation from these uh, organizations that typically are filled with, you know, they're homogenous groups. They're usually wealthy, old white dudes. Right. right. Um, and it's like, do we really need wealthy, old white dudes validation when it comes to like the quality of our art? Mm-hmm. And I always go back and forth like, well, we don't need their validation. Right. Like you don't need uh, an Academy Award to or or a Grammy to be a platinum recording artists or to have a substantial fan base but it is about exposure and it is about using those platforms so when people of color uh, are nominated and more importantly when we win um, hopefully we can use even if it's those 90 seconds we get on that stage to share a message to millions and millions of young people who are going to be able to see someone like them and be able to say oh that's a that's a career path I didn't think about. But now that I see right. this person, that brother doing it or this sister doing it, it's something I might take upon myself and do myself. I mean, when I was teaching, and this is over 10 years ago, all the boys wanted to be athletes, right? Basketball, football players, or you wanted to be a rapper. It's the same thing today. I go to my high school, what do the boys want to be? They all want to be athletes. Um, not so much even musicians now. There's a few, but everyone wants to be an athlete. So back to the conference the gentleman mentioned uh he mentioned two shows right the steve harvey show mm-hmm. and hanging with mr cooper two of my favorite shows growing up and the main characters right steve harvey and uh what mark mark curry um they were former athletes who ended up teaching uh as almost like a fallback position so it wasn't even what they wanted to do right steve mm-hmm. harvey played the role of like a music music teacher and uh, Mr. Cooper, I forget what, I don't know if he was the basketball co- I feel like he did something athletics even still. I think he was a sports Yeah, coach. I think he was like a coach, right? But nevertheless, yeah. here's the two guys who wanted to be athletes. Their characters wanted to be athletes. And they ended up going back to school. But that's because we take schools and teaching for granted. That just shows the whole problem with this idea that anybody could be a teacher. You can go out and, f- you know, fail at your initial passion and right. pursuit. You could always fall back on being a teacher. Like, no, you you, you really should know exactly. You should be a competent, uh, passionate uh, professional if you want to be a teacher. It shouldn't be a fallback job, right? Um, which is probably why I didn't do too well because <laughs> it wasn't my first passion. But nevertheless, that representation, right, we have to kind of change that narrative about, you know, the the, the decency and the uh the, the importance of what it means to be an educator. Right. Um, we all do it. Um, you can get paid for it oftentimes, but representation is huge. And also, you, I also think it's like an American thing, too, to not value teachers. Because I was listening to another podcast, um, and they were talking about, they were interviewing um, some folks who were um, refugees, and they were trying to get to America, but the Muslim ban happened. 
Um, and then they couldn't. And they were talking about at the refugee camp uh, how the highest paid people at the camp were, were teachers. Were teachers. Right. They were only making $80 a month, just to put in, that in perspective. But out of everybody at the refugee camp who was getting paid, it was the teachers who were getting the highest paid. Um, so I think, uh, yeah. I totally agree. It's part I totally of this agree. Is, that's part of the systematic failure of education in America, right? We don't value it. And it's not even a monetary thing, right? It's just culturally, right? Mm-hmm. Like teachers get, excuse my French, shitted on uh, too often. I mean, I still see it today. It's a lot of crap you got to deal with. You know, you got to deal with some kids who just do not know how to be respectful and to manage their emotions. And oftentimes that's something that's passed down from their parents. So, you know, I'm not going to get too off board as far as like what teachers have to deal with. But at the end of the day, um, for our teachers of color out there in particular, we do recognize you and we want to continue to support you and then let you know that your work, even on those days in which you weren't able to get your lessons across to your kids, you know, it matters each and every day that you show up. Um, and you are possibly one of a hand, small handful of black or and or brown or Asian teachers um, that they're going to experience throughout their life. I look back grades, uh, kindergarten through 12th grade, I had uh, no black male teachers um, and just a small handful of black female teachers uh, throughout my throughout my childhood and my um, early teenage years. So representation is key in your position plays a huge part in making sure that we remain represented in a lot of these circles that you typically don't see us. So we want to talk to you all about the why, right? We're not just doing this podcast because we want to hear ourselves speak or we feel like even the information we share, we do feel it's important, but you do need to understand that there is a reason behind our madness, I guess you could say, and why we are mad. I mean, you might hear so many statistics and you might get upset and that's perfectly all right. But this is the real, real, the real world and reality of the world that we live in. So, you know, thinking about some statistics around just graduation, when you look at uh, comparative data between black and white graduates, right, college graduates, um, across the board, black college graduates consistently have higher rates of unemployment, right? Um, higher underemployment rates as well. And I'll explain what underemployment means in a second. And then most importantly, our wages are just not equitable uh, compared to white counterparts. So these are uh, white college graduates compared to black college graduates. Um, and this these these kind of this kind of inequity right still holds true even when uh black students um are completing stem majors right or steam as we now call it science technology engineering art and mathematics right so this is now reinforcing concerns that there is some form of bias and or racial discrimination that must be intact right in order for these labor markets and these labor market trends, these hiring trends to persist. So despite uh, more and more black people going to four-year colleges and universities, earning four-year degrees, even in some of the high-yield industries and some of the high-yield concentrations across the board, we're hired less or not hired at all. And when we are hired, we experience something that's called underemployment. So even for our black college graduates who have a STEAM or STEM degree, um, we're still making less money, right? Uh, black millennials are in need of a space, and we're hopefully that NTL is the space that you go to, right, in order to aid yourself in overcoming and understanding these challenges and these biases that you're going to face and how you can continue to persevere despite the fact that we are still oftentimes the last hired and the first fired. What do you think about that, Tiff? Yeah, no, I totally, I totally agree. That's what we're here for. So 
something in, to, to note uh, is, is what the current data is. And so um, currently for African-Americans, the unemployment rate is 8.8%. Uh, and so that is more than double uh, the rate for whites right now, which is a 4.3%. So the current African-American unemployment rate is 8.8%, which is more than double the rates for whites right now, which is 4.3%. And it is actually closer to the non-percent unemployment rates whites experience in the depths of the recession. So this was before the recession, uh, which means we were already in the recession before the recession hit. Um, <laughs> if that makes any sense. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the recession was the recession when it impacted middle class white people. Um, we are currently in a recession right now with nine percent of us being unemployed. Um, it was only nine when whites had 9%, it was the recession. But right now we are still struggling to have employment and no one is really talking about it um, simply because there are more jobs than ever. But the reality is, is that if we're not getting the jobs, if our community is still historically not getting the jobs, that means that we are in a recession. And so it just shows you um, that the struggle has been real um, and it still is real. Um, and we just don't have the time to uh, go to college, graduate, and then come away and walk away with this student loan debt um, and still be underemployed or unemployed. Um, and so just, just think about that. You're going to college, you're taking on $60,000, $100,000 worth of debt, um, and then you're coming out of school with this promise that you're going to be employed, that you're going to be able to pay your student loans, buy a house, create some kids if that's what you're into, um, and, and travel and just live your dream life, right? But the reality is, is that how can you pay your bills and acquire wealth um, if you're underemployed or unemployed? And so the system is set up in some ways to keep some of us as the working poor. Um, and that is something that we just can't um, get with, we can't agree to. And so that's a part of the reason why anything, any small keys, any small steps that you can take to make yourself more competitive um, in this job market, you need to know. It shouldn't be a secret for you uh, to figure out what's going to make you a better candidate than the next person. And so that is a part of the reason why Millennial Talent League is here. Um, it's because we want you to really be able to develop yourself uh, professionally so that you know um, how you can escape the madness, which is student loan debt and the unemployment and the underemployment that the Black uh, and Latino community is facing at this point. Um, it's just not acceptable. And that is just a part of the reason why uh, we are here. And, and you'll see that reflected in our topics of, um, of topics moving forward. Um, so let's talk about what you should expect from our show. And so you can expect to just, you know, one, to hear a back and forth banter from us. So just know that's going to be there. Um, and also we're going to talk about like we're going to have a segment called What's Got Us Hot. Um, and so James Baldwin. Uh, so if you have not seen um, the documentary. Say, we still ain't seen it. <laughs> I don't want to talk about nobody. We I am not your Negro. <laughs> we are going to go see. I am we not gonna, your Negro. We're going to put our dollars up. We're going to put our dollars up. We are. Up. We are. Um, we didn't see Selma. 
So why you had to mention that? I'm just saying. I thought someone was going to come take our black card at that point. Um, but we ended up seeing it and got it on on DVD, our home DVD. home DVD. Um, and so we're going to go see. I am not your Negro, but James Baldwin said to be a Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be in a rage almost all the time. Right. So we're always raging. Um, we, we've been fairly calm this podcast. Um, it must be because we had the day off, but, uh, yeah, we're always at a rage. And if you were to ever sit down with us at dinner time, you would, you would feel it. And so we want to tell you what's got us hot. So my example for what's got me hot this week, um, it's really just Trump's overwhelming amount of white privilege and male privilege. Um, I think this is a like I, I just I, I can't imagine a, a, a Barack Obama president Barack Obama doing this. Nor could I imagine like Hillary Clinton getting away with half the things Trump has done in like within a month. Um, and it's, month, it's only been a month. Today. I feel like it's been like two years, but it's wow. only been a month, thirty days. It's kind of, it's, it's a little depressing, but, um, I just think the fact that he's now relaunched his camp, he's launched his campaign for his 2020 election. Wow. And I'm just like, are you serious, sir? Like we are really like, why can't you get your ducks aligned? You're the president of the United States of America. You're focused on getting reelected and not focused on doing a good job at your job. That is like getting a promotion as a manager, you got promoted to manager and then going to your job and focusing on getting promoted to director. Right, right. And you didn't even do the manager job. <laughs> the best the way to yet. get to promote it and to get your to get, get reelected is to do the work, yeah. um, which I think is a reflection of the fact that he does not want to do the work. No. And so I just don't see anyone but um, white men, specifically re- Republican and wealthy men, being able to get away uh, with this it's just it's just it's it's appalling and so um i try not to focus on trump because it's just not good for my health um but that's what what's got me hot um garrett's going to tell you about our next se- segment oh yeah i mean we don't want to ruin your days talking about trump uh mm-hmm. he could be our what's got us hot for every single podcast Basically. episode Sorry. Uh, that alone right um so it's like a living nightmare but um, there's other going to be other there's going to be other uh, trolls out there and other fools that'll I'm sure usurp Trump from time to time. But yeah, what a what a jerk. I mean, the only thing would be worse if uh, Kanye's on that ticket as well. They might as well just run together, just blow our blow blow both our heads up. I mean, at this point, Kanye for 2020, you're not you're not with that crew, no. I no? just I think so. I still have a soft spot in my heart for Kanye really? West. Oh, I'm done. No. I appreciate you being done, but no. like he I was mean, so influential to my introduction his to hip hop. Social commentary, I'm not here for it. I think people with mental illnesses need to uh, catch well, a break. Okay. And is so, a, is that I official? Think he was submitted to a hospital for like two weeks from his tour. His tour was canceled. Right. I think that qualifies okay, for so me as someone who might have some type of disorder. And no, no joke, some type of disorder. Yeah, and so, well, so might Trump. Shoot. I wouldn't be surprised. Listen, I put this on my, my Facebook status a few weeks ago. I was like, the keys to success in America in 2017 is, what is it, white, wealthy, and mediocre? 
<laughs> no, there's a T-shirt um, that has uh, that um, this. Uh, I listened to a podcast called Behind the Brilliance um, with Lisa Nicole Bell, and she's amazing. Yes. And Great she podcast. has a T-shirt that says, "Lord, please give me the confidence, confidence. of a mediocre right. white man." Right. And I was just like, "Man, it's real. That's so if true. we had the faith of a mediocre white man in America, man, where would we be right now?" That would be something else. Faith of a mustard seed. That's Look. something else, man. I mean, but hey, you if people voted for him, so he is. It is what it is. Um, I thought you didn't want to talk about Trump no more. You're letting it linger. No, no, no. I'm not letting it linger. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. What are you gonna do except move on? We yep. definitely are gonna Let's move, move on. on. Let's move <laughs> forward. Okay. So, like, actually, it had everything to do with what I was gonna say because we don't. We we understand that. You know, sometimes. Uh, hard line data, hard statistics, and coupled with a Trump presidency, right? Coupled with um, just the induced mental trauma of living in a Trump America, coupled with the, you know, the mental strain of just being, you know, a person of color trying to live and survive in these United States. Um, we just recognize there's a lot of value that cannot be understated uh, around self-care and celebration of our achievements as a people. Um, especially when these are achievements that are not typically highlighted uh, in mainstream media. It's important to know that there's millions and millions and millions of uh, black and brown people in this country, just even in this city, who are doing fantastic uh, things to contribute towards society and push us forward. So we also want to complement um, what Scott is hot with what we call our BMM, um, which is our uh, Black Millennial Moment. Uh, the week, month, the day, however we're feeling. So I'm going to talk real briefly about our Black Millennial Moment for this introductory episode. And it's something I came up across on my, I think on my Facebook or on my Twitter a couple of days ago. And uh, the title, the, the story went, uh, Big Sean, Migos, and Ellen drop read it video with a bunch of second graders so that doesn't really tell the actual story the actual story is about this principal this um, elementary school principal from North Carolina by the name of uh, Michael Bonner uh, so Michael Bonner was first uh, introduced to you know the the television world uh, via Ellen via her show back in January um, where Ellen donated about 25 G's to his school, South Greenville Elementary School, and also created a GoFundMe page for Mr. Bonner, uh, which has since earned uh, him and his class of second graders over $80,000. So, so shout out to everyone who contributed to Brother Bonner's class. Uh, the reason why Brother Bonner got this special appearance on The Ellen Show is because he goes above and beyond uh, what uh, is asked of him as an educator of black children. Um, he recognized the power of music, the power of dance, the power of movement. And so he creates these lesson plans and these educational rap songs to help encourage his uh, groups of second graders to learn to read, uh, to be loving and compassionate individuals. So he returned to the show just last Friday on the 17th to debut a remix of one of those songs uh, featuring uh, some of those faces that I mentioned. So not only was Big Sean Amigos on there talking about read it, read it, read it, but um, also had, who else he had on there? The brother from Hamilton, what's, I don't want to jack his name, uh, Lin-Manuel, mm -hmm. uh, brother Lin-Manuel, 
Um, there were some other folks on that on that video though. Ice, Ice Cube, yes, yes. Shout outs to Ice Cube. Shout out to Doughboy, NWA. Now talking about read it, read it, read it. Only in America, but the it's a beautiful moment. I mean, for one, the brother seemed fairly young. I'm assuming he was a millennial. Um, just the fact that he's an educator, that he cares and loves not just his uh, career, his profession, but he also clearly cares and loves these kids because mm -hmm. he said, I'm going to do whatever it takes, right? And if that means I use hip-hop slang, hip-hop vernacular, if I use melodies to encourage my young people to read more, uh, then why not? You know, anything to get our kids to read more. Uh, I'm a big fan of it. Right. So much love and respect and admiration goes out to Brother Michael Bonner. I, uh, you got to go watch this video, too. It's amazing. The video is amazing. It's so fun. He's amazing. So fun. Like, it was literally, I was like, I just, I didn't know if I wanted to just cry or, or just smile so hard. It was just so, it was so, um, it was just beautiful to watch, especially during a time like this in the country, right? We need to see more images of that. But my thing is, like, you know, it's just also about teachers believing in their kids, right? Like, it's right. like, if kids can learn these dances right. and the songs and Talk how to count it. their money, you know what I mean? Like, there are, there are some skills that are... Young people, I, I like to think of myself as a young person, but uh, as a younger people um, that they have, that they bring to the table and is a part of always like meeting people where they're at. Right. Like, so like what I think um, Mr. Michael Bonner did as an educator was he thought, where's where can I meet my students where they're at and take them from there to get them to where I want them to be. And I think um, I think it's just I think it's beautiful. And I think it's like looking at the, the kids current skills, which I think people don't always look at our kids from exactly. um, uh, acid based perspective. And they look at them a lot from like the deficits. But they're bringing, like I said earlier, you'll learn more from them um, if you just take the time out to listen. And so I just I love that moment. Thank you for sharing that moment, G. Yeah, please go check it out. Michael Bonner. Um, Ellen, Ellen. The, the Ellen Show. I Shout love Ellen. Ellen. Ellen can. I love her. She just always makes the right moves. Shout out to her for banning. Um, what was her name? The church lady from from coming oh. on her show. Her name is not to be said. Whatever her <laughs> name was. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I, that's right. Basically, someone uh, said to Ellen, but she didn't say it to Ellen. She was in her church, um, and she was talking about homosexuality. And you know, she just didn't watch her mouth. My thing is, is like, how are you trying to come You're on somebody's show? You're messing with your but money. But how? 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 Like how? How are you trying to come on someone's show? And then in another moment talking about how you don't believe in homosexuality and how mm -hmm. it's like a illness. I'm yeah. sorry, ma'am, did you do your research on your yeah. on your clearly, schedule for the clearly week? Clearly she does not have Wikipedia. <laughs> she does not. <laughs> I'm know. just like, oh, you know, so I that's right. I I like when Ellen, you know, stands her ground oh, too. Yeah. Um she's just a she's a badass. I love Ellen. Um so that's it. That's it for today. Already. That is it for our introduction uh, episode. That's um, our introduction about uh, who we are, why we're here, what, Mill what Millennial Talent League is doing here. Um, and um, if you want to contact us, uh, you can email us at uh, millennialtalentleague at gmail.com. Um, we love to take some questions from you. Um, and we're going to, uh, you know, just close with... Uh, a quote 
I thought this was Michelle Obama, but I never wrote who this quote was by. So, um, so just claim it your own, you know. Who cares? I don't want to claim it because you, know, you know somebody Melania would didn't, pull. Didn't claim her. You know what? You know what I'm saying? Let's not go <laughs> Get there. Get your Melania on, girl. Go right ahead. That's, you know, I'm, I'm a black that woman. Might be a and so, <laughs> <laughs> it might be Michelle Quote. So we're just going to say it could be from Michelle Obama, but it may not. Um, so the quote is, the question is, what are you going to do? How are you going to be better? What are you going to change in your office, in your life, in your relationships? What are you going to change in your family dynamic? And how are you going to empower yourself with the knowledge that you need to know what work needs to be done? We can't afford to be ignorant. We can't afford to be complacent. We have to continue to do the work. And so I think that's Michelle Obama. Facts. Um, if not, that was an alternative fact that I that just said, right. um, which is not true. But excited for us to continue to do the work. Um, that's why we're here. Uh, that's why Millennial Talent is here. And me and G are excited to to be your supports throughout this process. Yeah, so come join us. Uh, definitely come check us out. Be on the lookout for our first full episode where we talk about promotion in yes. the workplace. Get right? your check, get your check, get your title, and keep, keep your, your dignity. dignity. Let's do it.